talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Erskine is back on the board. The kids are back to school next week. Yeah, baby. Never thought I would ever say that. Here's Scott Thompson. Yeah, I I never thought I'd hear you say that either. I'm not sure if that's tongue-in-cheek or if there's, um, you you know, there's honestly uh, a bit of truth to that. Actually, there is, because I know when my son was told that uh, they were delaying Christmas break, he got a little ticked off. He thought that, you know, they're going to be out for 100 years. And he was not happy about it. So, uh, believe it or not, uh, certainly my grade niner is, uh, is happy to be going back, uh, come next week. So good news there. Good afternoon. It is 308. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back on the board. Happy New Year to you, Will Man. Happy and- New Year, Scott. And and I hope it was a good one for you, and you had a nice rest and all that sort of stuff. And, well, I just uh, woke up now, so you know. <laughs> hey, that's great because that'll uh, that should that rest should last you for, for about the next hour or so. Uh, once we do what we do, uh, feel free to jump into the fun. Love to hear from you. Oh, forgot to mention too that uh, Lisa Paleski and Dave Woodard in the newsroom. Uh, all three of the kids will be joining us around the big round virtual table coming up after uh, the four thirty news to talk about the issues of the day. So if you want to talk about the issues of the day or have one of yours tossed on the table, feel free. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, and the phone lines are always open. All right, very excited to have the former Premier of Ontario on the show today, Kathleen Wynne, MPP for Don Valley West, and uh, recently appeared in a McLean's uh, interview talking about life and, and such after politics and the whole legacy and, and what she's been going through, uh, and it's an absolute pleasure to have her back on the show. Kathleen Wynne, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for reaching out. And you know, it's uh, we all uh, we disagreed politically several times, but boy, you were always a pro. You were always uh, came on the show and uh, and gave us your time, and we greatly appreciate that. You're one of the great ones out there. Thanks so much. This is a very difficult job, as we've seen, and we're certainly seeing uh, during a global pandemic. Do you miss leading, especially during a time like we're going through now? You know, Scott, a lot of people have said to me. You must be relieved not to be the premier. And I don't feel that, you know, I, uh, I miss the job. I miss the interaction with the people of the province. Um, I would have done things differently, you know, than, uh, than the current premier. There's no secret about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I know it's tough. I know that uh, every leader in the last two and a half years has had a very, very tough time. But, um, you know, when you... When you believe that you uh, that you have something to offer, you want to be able to continue offering it. So, uh, as you said, we're we're heading into our third year of this, uh, and and it seems the discussion is changing now as we're moving towards well, not Ontario now. I think it's twelve plus. Uh, uh, at least with our first dose, over 90%, uh, almost 90% with the second. Uh, is this discussion changing in the sense that it's less about the dangers of COVID-19 to oneself and more about 
um, uh, the dangers of this to our very fragile health care system that's been neglected for decades and is in desperately need, I believe, of a funding formula change. Uh, is, is it time to focus on that? Are we using, you know, even if we get 100% of the population vaccinated, we're still going to have this health care issue. Is that, yeah. is, the, is the focus now, we're uh, focusing now on the health care system as opposed to the disease itself? Yeah, I think that's really astute of you, Scott. I think that the discussion is changing. Um, but I think I think it's focusing on two things. Yes, the healthcare system and what it needs, what it needed before, perhaps. Um, certainly the the gaps that have been um, really highlighted through this uh, through this pandemic. And we can we can talk about that. I think long term care is an area that obviously needs more support. Um, so I think there are a number of things. But I think the other issue that has arisen out of particularly the last six months or so is this rift between people who are willing to get a vaccination and take part in sort of community well-being and the small, the minority of people who are not willing to do that. And I mm-hmm. You know, I worry about the I worry about the well-being of the community in terms of our ability to repair that rift once we are on the other side of this pandemic, because it's it's become very vicious. I mean, even the announcement today that Premier Legault in Quebec is going to is saying he's going to tax um, people who are not willing to get vaccinated. I think that's a very slippery slope. I think that um, I think that uh, personally, I think that's the wrong direction, and I think it widens the the sort of civic um, distance between groups of people in a way that's that's not healthy. So I think those two discussions. I mean, they're very different, Scott. One is about the nuts and bolts of the healthcare system. But the other is related in that it's about how we treat one another and how we respect one another and how we respect the authority of scientists. Uh, that's a very valid point. It seems that provinces are really taking the heat here. Now, we know, obviously, healthcare provincial uh, jurisdiction, but when this Medicare system was started, it was 50-50 with the provinces and the feds. Uh, is there is the funding formula at the root of this that needs to be changed? Uh, again, it, it is up to the provinces to make all of this happen, but it still all starts with money. Is that where we need to start with this, is the funding formula and, and how to address well, when I was Premier Scott, and, and interestingly, in that article, in the interview that I did in McLean's, I talked about us working to balance the budget, and I talked about how we had to work to hold uh, healthcare costs down, not to reduce them. We didn't make cuts in the healthcare system, yeah. but we, you know, we were constrained, and a big reason that we were constrained is exactly what you're saying. We were getting between 20 and 23 or 4% of our uh, healthcare funding from the federal government and the rest we had to raise provincially. And you are correct, the original deal was 50-50. And the premiers, including me at the time, were making the argument first to uh, Prime Minister Harper and then to Prime Minister Trudeau that 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 share needed to change, you know, that there needed to be a much more robust transfer from the federal government much more in line with the original deal. And I I don't think that's changed over the last six or seven years. I think that that is important and it's probably more important now as we as we look at how we're going to how we're going to rebuild the healthcare system after what it's been through with COVID.
Will it change now? Because, again, if the federal government can't afford it, how are the provinces supposed to? Well, the, well, yeah, I mean, the federal government has it has a broader um, tax base. Right. So uh, so I think that obviously the federal government has had to put out an enormous amount of money to invest in people's lives over the last two and a half years. And they have done that. You know, to be fair, the federal government has put out the lion's share of supports as compared yeah. to the provincial governments. But the provincial governments have had to bear a lot of the cost of, uh, of health care. So, so I think that I think that it has to be a partnership, Scott. It can't, you know, it can't be adversarial. There has to be an agreement that we're going to A, have the discussion, and then B, we're going to come up with a, a solution that's going to work for the people of the country. People who go into a hospital or go to a, a clinic in their community or are looking for home care, they don't actually care who's funding that, you know. Hmm. Um, I think as politicians and as pundits, sometimes we get we get caught up in formula and the logistics of how the funding works. People don't care. I mean, when I would knock on doors, people didn't know whether the provincial government was uh, responsible for the potholes on their street or whether the municipal government was or the federal government was. They just wanted those things fixed. And that goes for education. It goes for healthcare. People want to make sure that their representatives are investing in the things that they need in their lives. And so there needs to be a, a really really solid discussion among the between the federal and the provincial government about how those health care costs are going to be shared. And quite frankly, the municipalities need to be part of that because we've seen how public health is such a critical part of the system. Uh, I could carry on this conversation for an hour. We've only got a less than a minute left. I have to ask you, we've talked about uh, what leaders should be doing. What about the opposition? I've often thought, uh, especially during the early stages of this campaign, when everybody wants to see everybody working together, it, it was kind of uh, uh, fruitless to just attack another or the, what the opposition or whatever was doing. And is this not a better chance to, if you are in opposition, to build your brand, to become the nice person, to understand, be empathetic about what's going on? Because really, there's only so much you can do rather than you're doing it this way i'm doing it that way i always thought that this period should be used to build one's own brand as opposed to the typical politics your thoughts well you know in fact and i'm going to sound partisan scott but um the reality is that stephen del duca who's the ontario liberal leader has been putting out really constructive suggestions, whether it's in education, whether it's in healthcare. I mean, some of the things that the uh, Ford government is only now starting to do, for example, um, making education workers a priority in terms of getting back vaccinations. We've been talking about those things for months. And so I think that if you look at what uh, particularly the Liberal Party has been doing, we actually have been making suggestions because I agree with you. We need to work together. And just in the last few days, Stephen Del Duca asked the opposition or asked the government and the other opposition parties to come together. The NDP and the Green Party did and they they met and they had a constructive conversation. Unfortunately, the government wasn't at, at that table. So I agree with you. It's just a matter of whether whether there's a light shone on that or not to go to the song that you brought me in on. <laughs> yeah. Kathleen Wynn, MPP for Don, uh, Don Valley West and former Premier of Ontario. Kathleen, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. You too. Take care and all your listeners be well. Lots of chatter 
in regard to the kids returning to school, again, as I was saying to the former premier uh, just in the last hour, and I've been barking about it since uh, we started back this week, and that is I, I think the discussion on, uh, on COVID-19 has really changed, especially because so many people have had it and have moved through it and have uh, and and it's sort of the attitudes change from trying to beat it and 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 kill it per se to just living with it and as long as we're fully vaccinated and such it seems most of us are getting through it uh, quite easily which is is no i wouldn't say easily uh, some of us are getting through it quite easily some are having obviously more difficulty some are actually ending up in a hospital but the majority of those in icu are those that are still unvaccinated so uh it, it's slow turning from a conversation of fighting the disease to now keeping afloat a very fragile and neglected and underfunded healthcare system and you know right now it's like let's get everybody vaccinated when we've already got like 90 percent and i'm all in everybody get vaccinated please go um but even if you get 100 percent of the people vaccinated we're still not going to change the situation with our healthcare system uh and one of the fallout of that is of course lockdowns uh restrictions whether it's in retail or hospitality or even the kids returning to school fascinating yesterday watching uh coverage of kids going back to school in the west and they actually had a map out and showed that everybody west of saskatchewan west was going back to school alberta british columbia the yukon everybody uh, manitoba east was off and when they went to each individual area the everybody was complaining even though you had what the other one wanted. So those that were at home were complaining the kids were not at school, and those that weren't at school were complaining the kids were not at home. So let's bring in Daniel Perry. We've all decided, uh, it looks like, uh, in, in Ontario government, January 17th, as promised, is the day that everybody goes back to class. Daniel Perry is with us, consultant, Summa Strategies, and with us now. Daniel, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thank you. I hope you're doing well as well. I found it fascinating, Daniel, watching the news the other day and seeing both sides of the country in, in, in very opposite scenarios, but each hoping for the other. Uh, how do you wade through this? How do you decide when is the right time? Has this discussion changed? Well, I think it's very clear that grass isn't always greener on the other side, especially when we look yeah. at the provinces. Everyone wants what the other one has. Um, it's honestly a tough decision, and I think it's one that Premier Ford and his office is looking at, especially with an election looming over his head in June. And it's going to be one that he thought long and hard about, unlike last time where he sprung it at the 11th hour. This time he gave it some thought, so parents and teachers had some time to think about uh, what options are before them. And it'll be interesting to see more details come out because it's very high level right now. So uh, has this discussion changed? Uh, do we feel differently about this sort of uh, activity, whether it's a lockdown or, or what have you? Do we feel differently now than we did before the holiday, before Omicron? I think so. I think people are genuinely tired, especially here in Ottawa. People are tired of going down a lockdown after lockdown. Groundhog Day isn't supposed to happen until next month, but it seems like we're living in that every couple of months now. So I think people are generally, especially as more people get it and more people are becoming infected, they're realizing that it's spreading fast. And I think people's minds are shifting and even how Ontario is counting cases has changed. So I think I think especially as we go through this lockdown, I think people are going to really reconsider priorities and what they're looking for in terms of what the next lockdown could look like. Many are asking why now? Why uh, open it up now? Why keep it close now? What are we basing this on? 
Uh, your guess is good as mine, to be honest with you, there, Scott. Uh, it seems like the government <laughs> they said really it was wants- to allow they said it was to allow time for them to prepare for this and see if things sort of calm down a bit. But it seems lots of people are getting it, and we're just content with that. Yeah, if you look at the numbers, uh, especially a lot of the models projecting that next week is going to be the peak of this variant. Uh, so it's a very interesting decision to send the kids back during that. That said, I think the government's hoping that we are reaching the peak and things will kind of start slowing down. So by sending the kids back, we can slowly get back into the sense of normalcy and we can get the economy rolling again. And that's something that's been big for the board government. And the reality is that schooling is a form of daycare in some situations because parents can't sometimes can't afford to keep kids at home. They have to send them to school if they're looking to get back to the workforce, which is something very important to this government. Is COVID-19 at this point, do you think, being used to distract us from a bigger problem, which is a healthcare problem or a healthcare system that is in dire stress? I mean, it's in dire need right now. Uh, we always brag about it, but boy, we're certainly seeing the holes. You mean the government would try to distract us with another crisis to hide a crisis? I don't think they would ever do that. <laughs> no, I think this this the whole pandemic has really highlighted how our healthcare system is failing, but also how it's succeeding and how we have some very remarkable people in hospitals leading them, uh, people on the floors helping people. There's been a lot of great compassionate stories about the Medicare Medicare. Um, Uh, the medical community. That said, I think it's time for the government to pony up. And it's very clear they're willing to spend money when needed. And I think our healthcare system really needs some help because it's struggling. And I really think that Canadians want to see that healthcare staff uh, compensated Mm -hmm. for what they're doing and uh, at least make this uh, the respectable and attractive profession that it once was. Daniel Perry with us, consultant, Summa Strategies. Thanks as always. Be well. You too. Take care. Uh, Jason Chapman is with us, executive producer with Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Uh, apparently is on the speed dial uh, of the premier and uh, and was uh, privy to this information earlier on today uh, in regards to the schools will, in fact, be reopening coming up next week. Uh, it was fascinating, as I said uh, to uh, the former premier, Kathleen Wynne, earlier on. Uh, you know, I'm, you're watching the nightly news last night and half the country is back at school. The other half is not back at school, east to west and such. And each one is screaming that they want to be like the other one. The people that are open say they should be closed. The people that are closed saying they should all be open. And you're just sitting watching this from the space station wondering, you know, where's the consensus here? Uh, Let's bring in Jason Chapman, find out about what's going on uh, January 17th and with the reopening. He's with us now. Jason, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, I'm as well as can be uh, in this climate, Scott. I don't even know what to say anymore. i I'm I'm Blursday. I'm okay. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. I'm better this week than I was last. Yeah, I hear you. The guy at the liquor store said to me, I said, how are you today? He goes, living the dream. And then as soon as I walked out the door, I heard him say to the customer behind me, living the dream. It's just a standard <laughs> answer. I, I mean, I love that positivity, Scott. Honestly, yeah. that's uplifting in this time, even if he doesn't mean it. I love it. I'm sensational, man. What can I say? Exactly. So tell us about your encounter with the premier and us moving forward with opening up next week's schools. So, I mean, I've been a reporter or a producer or some newsy type of person for 20 years, Scott. And I mean, over the time, over that time, you you, you get phone numbers, you get contacts that uh, are great to have in your back pocket. I, I'm going to tell you, I misused two of those numbers, one of them being the premiers and the other being the mayor of Toronto uh, last week. Um, misused in the sense of I'm on paternity leave right now. I'm actually not working. Mm. Uh, I have those numbers and I guard them, you know, uh, with uh, great care because you can't just give those out and I don't misuse them. Um but I just had enough. I uh, 
after being in my street, I I, I watched two neighbors cry. I've never yeah. seen these people cry. Scott, these aren't close. Well, one is quite close, and the other one is uh, we, we love saying hello. They were in tears. Um, I was in near tears. I'm eternity. I, I don't have to juggle a, a job and um, school, online school. I've got a five year old and a one year old. Um, so I I just sort of reflected, and I I, I don't know. I, I paused, and I I I I am convinced. Maybe I'm wrong. Throw this on the round table. I know the poll came out today saying the majority of Canadians, a slim majority, are in favor of lockdowns. I, I don't think that's true. I, I don't. I just yeah. think people are so afraid of the bloody repercussions. They don't know what yeah. to say. Yeah. People care about hospitals. I get that. They want to do right. But living in fear, Scott, is not going to fix our bloody healthcare system, which needs a lot of fixing. So, so what did the premier? So what did he say to you? What did he? What message did he leave for you? So I wrote a couple of days ago and I didn't hear anything. And then last night at 10 or just before 10, he called and I have the new don't disturb thing on my phone yeah. uh, after a certain time, which is great. I actually really like the balance that gives to my life. But I found it just before eight o'clock this morning. And immediately I flipped it to Dave Bradley in our newsroom in Toronto, who flipped it to everybody across course. And the premier called and he said a couple of things that really stood out to me, Scott. He said that Number one, schools would reopen on Monday. He confirmed it. Last night, we were all setting a source outside the pre inside the premier's office. And on the phone, he said, Note, Jay, we're opening the schools on the 17th, um, which is weird that he confirmed it that way. This whole thing is so odd, Scott. Hold a bloody news conference and tell the world. Um, the other thing he said is that he thinks it's absolutely right. See what happened in New York City where they opened schools. They had no staff. And so we just had to close the schools. We had to close them. It was the only way, Jay, and uh, we're standing by that decision. But thank goodness we closed them. I, 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 I mean, I don't know what's changed, Scott. The, listen, I, I, the indicators in the province still say that, you know, I mean, listen, it's January. Our healthcare system's hooped. And right now we have restrictions that healthcare workers have to stay home for a long time. And we fired a bunch who weren't vaccinated. Yeah, our healthcare sucks. It's not better today than it was two weeks ago. No, said, and now, and now we closed it. And now everybody is sick, including those uh, in the healthcare system, as there's like a, a 30% absentee rate, uh, rate across uh, right. all industries. Jason Chapman with us, executive producer, uh, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Jason, as always, thanks for the time. Be well and, uh, you know, put the phone down and, and get back to your leave. Yeah. Overrated. <laughs> my kid gets lots of attention from me. I promise, Scott. Kids, all right. You goodness. take care, so. buddy. Vaccine hesitancy in regard to brands. Brands of the vaccine. We talked about this way back when, uh, when uh, at one time the National Association, uh, no, the Nas uh, National Advisory Committee on Immunization, that's it, NACI, uh, and Health Canada were, were both holding press conferences for some reason at the beginning of all of uh, this pandemic. And Health Canada would say one thing, and then um, NACI would come out and say something completely different. And they're two different organizations. Health Canada, of course, approves the drugs that we use in... Uh, in Canada, and NACI is a group, a volunteer group of, uh, of respected doctors who oversee all the information that's going on all over the world and kind of make a recommendation as a result of this. I think what I find really fascinating is none of this had to happen, but basically uh, because of the disagreements, uh, the miscommunication between NACI and Health Canada, uh, AstraZeneca is virtually gone out of our toolbox for controlling um, uh, COVID-19, and 
and then, of course, saying that Pfizer was better than Moderna. We remember that way back when, and that is still lingering today as the Ontario Pharmacists Association is reporting that many in Ontario are turning down the COVID-19 vaccination because they do not want Moderna and instead are waiting for Pfizer. Justin Bates with us, Ontario Pharmacist Association. Justin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Justin, we talked about this last time that you were with us. How prevalent has this become? Is it as high as half people are, are walking away? Well, I do think we're making some progress with the public health messaging around the importance, number one, of getting a third shot and not vaccine shopping because we know based on the data that we have access to right now that both vaccines are safe and effective. And in fact, an mRNA equals an mRNA vaccine. Now, there are differences in the formulations, but when it comes to the actual efficacy and uh, you know, value of the, of the actual vaccine, there is no difference. And I think that's the key message. We are actually seeing a bit of a um, lull right now in third shots. I think we've reached in certain regions about 50% of eligible residents for a third shot have actually received one. Uh, and that could be contributing to the fact that we have more Moderna in the system. It could also be a bit of apathy. Uh, people are getting tired of all of this. And uh, perhaps with the modified restrictions, people are thinking they shouldn't get vaccinated, which is going to be our next uh, challenge in terms of education around why it's still important to get a third shot. And again, you bring up uh, the point, uh, an mRNA vaccine uh, like the Moderna and the Pfizer are different from the traditional vaccines. And these are the same. It's kind of like a Coke and Pepsi thing, is it not? It is, yes. Now, the formulations, I mean, the, uh, what we call incipient ingredients, non-active ingredients are different, which is why you'll see some slightly different side effects. But the technology and the science is exactly the same with mRNA vaccines, as they are with viral vector vaccines like a AstraZeneca or a J&J. So it's using the same kind of uh, technology in how it attacks um, uh, the, the system and the virus uh, and builds up the immunity. So, you know, really there's no reason to choose one over another, but we do have this consumer perception and awareness of, say, one brand over another because they may recognize it, uh, and, and it's just sort of that's one of the things that they uh, opt for. Uh, but I do think that because of some of the supply interruptions early on in the uh, vaccine rollout back in March of last year, you know, we did have more Pfizer in the system. So more people got a first and second dose of Pfizer, and if there's any ambiguity about mixing vaccines, whether that might be travel abroad or just uncertainty, then uh, people tend to opt to stay with the same vaccine. And again, just to reiterate, is there any difference if I've had Pfizer for my last shot and even AZ for the first, that it's going to be a problem to get a Moderna for the third? No, you can mix uh, all three. In fact, uh, many people have done that. Some have done uh, AZ at the beginning and then received Pfizer, Moderna as a third, Pfizer as a second, or any of those combinations we know is safe and effective. And it's becoming a global standard now, even within the World Health Organization. Initially, there was some hesitation to uh, adopt definition of what constitutes being fully vaccinated when mixing. We saw that with some of the destinations like the U.S. and uh, Caribbean, but they've all come along to accept um, mixing of uh, vaccines, whether it's a viral vector like AZ to mRNA or the two different mRNA vaccines.
It's hard to believe that this sort of all came out of the miscommunication from way back in the uh, the earlier part of of this pandemic. Do we have a handle on that now? At one time, you know, this would be political and people are muzzling science. But then when we heard uh, too much science speaking, it became confusing. Is this about muzzling science or creating a consistent message? No, I think it's the latter. It's really about understanding that um, these are, while the technology of mRNA vaccines have been around a long time, the specific formulation and applicability to the COVID virus is relatively new. So what you're seeing is science evolve in real time, policies that are changing to reflect that, uh, and, and that can be confusing. And I think most importantly, at the very beginning of the pandemic, it was uh, mixed messaging coming out from NASI and some of the other uh, federal agencies, PHAC, and so forth, and and that confused people. And, and science communications, if nothing else, is probably one of the most important things that we have a clear and aligned and concise message to the public, uh, even as guidelines get updated uh, in real time because the data supports that. But I think that we're getting more used to that um, from uh, what we've experienced over the last two years. And I, I think the science communications, to be fair, has improved uh, throughout the pandemic. You don't have necessarily communication experts, uh, public affairs people that are crafting those messages early on, and that's why you see some of the mixed messaging that came out. Justin Bates with us, Ontario Pharmacist Association. Doesn't matter if it's Moderna or Pfizer, just get the jab. Justin, thanks for the time. Be well. Me too. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board, Dave Woodard and Lisa Pileski in the newsroom making their way around the virtual big round table to talk about the issues of the day. Good afternoon, table heads. I hope you're all doing well. Good afternoon. Hello, hello. Uh, Poll question of the day. Boy, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, Some real ethical stuff here. Poll question of the day, which we always start with. Are you applauding the decision to reopen schools next week? Right now, 62% of you are saying no. I found this fascinating, as we all do, watching the various news outlets across uh, the country and such. Uh, Obviously, half the schools yesterday or this week are open. uh, Schools west, uh, Saskatchewan West, are open, uh, including the Yukon and those Manitoba East are closed. It was fascinating watching this, and then they go to actualities of both places and both hated it. The ones that were, it was closed, they wanted it reopened. The ones that were open, they wanted it closed. Uh, just to show you how uh, divisive this all is and, and, and how we all have different opinions. But we'll start with you, Lisa. Are you applauding the decision to get the schools open next week? Uh, I'm not applauding anything that was previously announced. I mean, they're basically sticking to the plan that I, they already announced. Yeah. So Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, you know, that that's good, I guess, that they're sticking to the plan. But, I mean... There are, cons- I, I think the concerns that have been raised are legitimate. Um, you know, the concern that maybe people don't have the supplies that they need. I have a friend who actually works in Peel region for one of the Peel boards, and she's like, I don't even know if we have the masks. They say we're going to get the N95 masks, but I don't think we have them yet. So, I mean, hopefully everything will be there in time for everyone to be back in school safely. But it, it just it's one of those things where I think, like, you're right, people are going to be, there's people on both sides who are, raising legitimate concerns. I mean, Mm. there are problems with keeping kids home. It's a lot of strain on the kids, a lot of strain on the parents. At the same time, our classroom's safe. That's, we have to... We have to make sure everything's good to go. So I I don't know. I don't know. I don't have kids either, so I shouldn't be chiming in. (laughs) 
Dave, your thoughts? Applauding is a strong word in this case, I think. Um, you know, uh, again, as Lisa said, they're doing what they said they were going to do, and, and that's that's a good thing. And, and it's a tough thing to be uh, yeah. dealing with, no matter where you are in the country. I mean, you're going to have people on both sides of the issue, and you're going to have disappointed people uh, all over the country. And, and, and Ontario is one of those things where, you know, Doug Ford told us, uh, told Global News Radio, uh, that, you know, they should have been closed the last two weeks. They didn't want to overburden the system. Um, and, and and so they say that now is the, the perfect time to reopen it. Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. And I guess the, the big issues was just a such high absenteeism rate across virtually every industry uh, in Canada coming up after Christmas as a result of, of COVID-19. Will, uh, the decision to reopen, what are your thoughts? This is why we need the metaverse now. We need it fully installed <laughs> so the kids can just matrix in. Um... <sighs> I don't know. I, I Will honestly, doesn't want to come back. He wants to go farther out. Yeah, let's all just become digits. Um, I'm thinking, honestly, along the lines of what Lisa brought up about they're still waiting for the material to be there. Maybe this is me being, you know, a, a little bit overly cautious. I would say until... They can confirm, okay, we got the mask, we got the filters, everything's good to go, so that there is no last minute, okay, you actually, your we're, region we're, hold off. I'd say give it a few days. They, it's okay to, to, to stretch the plan a bit, but that's are my we thinking. Still, are we still looking at this like it's a real deadly disease, or are we now looking at it like it's a, a global pandemic, which we now have a, vaccine, a vaccination for, and it is is spreading like wildfire, but obviously not as 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 violent as as others so you know i think that's one of the reasons things are reopening uh and and again i think reasons for being closed were just simply uh, staffing issues i mean it just got to the point where everybody was uh everybody was uh ill let me ask you one that i didn't write down and i'll start with you uh, dave uh, would you want to be a leader right now i was talking to kathleen Wynne, former premier of ontario and she said you know a leader a leader a leader yeah we want to get in there and and, and fight w- would you want to, this job right now no there's no way that you could pay me to be a politician or a leader in any kind of situation because as we're seeing throughout this pandemic and even before the pandemic you can't please everybody all of the time and and, you know there is an art to compromise and oftentimes that means that everybody walks away a little disappointed Um, all right so yeah i don't i don't know no no definitely do not want to be a leader right now All right, Lisa, a very interesting point coming out of Quebec today. They've said that non-vaccinated Quebecers will pay an extra health tax to help pay for this because uh, obviously those unvaccinated are are still, uh, you know, overloading the system. Uh, Non-vaccinated Quebecers will have to pay an extra health tax. Do you agree or disagree? It was interesting. Premier Wynne said she disagreed with this, said it was going down a slippery slope. Lisa, what are your thoughts? Well, I think slippery slope is accurate. I think um, I like that uh, Francois Legault called it a health contribution as opposed mm. to like a tax or, or a fine or anything like that. I mean, I can definitely see the point that there is frustration when you do have a lot of unvaccinated people who are are really making up the burden of uh, on the health care in the province. But uh, at the same time that like, you know, it, it's it seems like such a, what else are they going to start? Uh, finding people for if you don't have certain things. I, I don't want to be like that person who says that. So it's just it's it's uh, it's an interesting thing to see. Um, no other jurisdiction in Canada has done this so far.
I'm surprised they actually went through with it. I know they talk about it, but to actually look like they're going to do it, that was surprising. Dave, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, and you know what? We kind of looked at this, and and we it's almost like a cheeky response that he gave, talking about it being a, a health care contribution. But there's nothing cheeky about that. That that language is used for a reason. If they said it was a tax or a levy or whatever the case may be, uh, civil liberties groups would have a definite issue with that, as well as, you know, um, you know, people who smoke, people who overeat, people who drink, are they going to have to be looking at something like this down the future? Um, and so it's an interesting kind of uh, thing that Francois Legault is open in Quebec, and we'll have to wait and see if it's challenged. Well, uh, yeah, no, I just think there's a little bit of maybe almost a snark behind the idea of it. Uh, it is, as uh, as you said, it could end up being divisive in the long run. Although I, I do understand. I understand. They want people to, you know, contribute in some way or another if we're doing this. But uh, it's the type of thing that could end up just needling people and, yeah, making everything more divisive. So I'm I'm not applauding that, to borrow the terminology we've been using. All right, I'm going to steal something and totally T-bone you guys because I didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, but this was from yesterday. Ricky Gervais, uh, of course, the uh, I think it was Golden Globes uh, were the other day, not really the Golden Globes, but they told you who won. Uh, Ricky Gervais, who, of course, is, has been great at hosting some of these shows, re- recently said on the topic of award shows, people are tired of listening to rich, elite people tell them what to do while they suffer. Do you agree or disagree with that? Lisa, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't, I depends on what you qualify as the rich and the elite. I mean, I would consider Ricky Gervais among the rich and the elite too, quite honestly. So I yeah. mean, to, to, for him to be stand there and criticize other celebrities, I'm like, okay, dude, but how much are you making from the office and things like that? Um, I don't know. So it's, so it's hypocrisy calling out hypocrisy to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel that way. I mean, I don't know how many people are actually going to celebrities for advice anyway. And I, I feel like it, it really, the average person is not really kind of looking to those celebrities who are speaking at it for their wisdom so they can say whatever they want we don't have to necessarily listen dave uh, as far as i'm concerned uh, ricky gervais can let me know when the next season of afterlife is coming out and i'll be happy with that <laughs> there you go all right it is 4:45. thank you table heads uh, lisa paleski dave woodard and of course uh willers can all around the big round table thank you so much uh it often seems as i'm reading through all this and i've been in the media i'm in the media you know i've been in the media for 38 years 38 years this month and, you know, I, I think we've gone from what I love about this is I can um, I'm just a guy, an average guy who I can come in and I talk to all of these experts and I get to ask them all kinds of dumb questions, all kinds of obvious questions that that, that everybody wants to know. That's really what my role is. And it seems that. Now the media is asking questions that they know there are no answers to just to create the hype and to create the anxiety and the tension and the feeling that there's actually a story when probably there's not. It seems we're asking more questions or creating more confusion than we are answering questions. Uh, am I right? We'll talk about that a little later on, maybe. Uh, all right, it is 4.52, and uh, it's Hamilton today. Have I done all that? In case you don't know, uh, school is back. Uh, 
next week on Monday. The way they said it was going to be, they said they needed a couple of weeks to just get things ready. And not only that, uh, absentee res- uh, absenteeism rate through the roof, uh, like 30% in every occupation, uh, down for the count. So this allows people to heal up and get back after the holidays. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, watching last night on the news, half the country's back. The other half of the country isn't back at school. When you talk to each one, they're all angry that they're not doing what the other part of the country is doing. If you're home, they want to be uh, in. If you're in, they want to be out. So can we please anybody? Let's bring in Thomas Tenke, Professor School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University with us now. Tom, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, yes, thanks. Great to be I- with you again. I found it amusing, Tom, watching the news last night and literally seeing, you know, from uh, Saskatchewan uh, West was uh, in school, from Manitoba East was out, and each one was complaining that they weren't doing what the other part of the country was doing. Is anybody happy with this? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it's a, it's a really difficult uh, sort of situation to to sort of judge which, which is right and which is wrong. I think, you know... Uh, each province is doing what they feel is the right thing. But, uh, you know, I, either way, you know, if you have kids in class uh, in person, there there are risks. But if you have them online, there's also risks, maybe not infection risks, but broader, you know, mental health and uh, broader broader sort of societal impacts. So so it, it's, a, it's a really difficult uh, balancing act at this stage in the pandemic. Yeah, even my kid's saying, I want to go back, which I don't think I've ever heard him say over the course of his school career. Uh, he's, in, he's in grade nine, so it's great to see. Uh, kids uh, back in school, is it time? Is it safe? What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I, like, I, I think if you think about, uh, you know, breaking it down from either what's from an infection perspective, uh, you know, th- there's definitely, you know, risk for the kids being back in class and, and having that connection and contact with other kids and just with the uh the amount of uh transmission you know what i you know what i'd say is you know uh you i would say that once kids go back to school and they're having that level of connection with other kids it's pretty much everyone's going to become infected i would say um you know so the question is is that worth it uh versus having them at home i suppose you know when you look at uh the the you know what what's the impact of kids getting COVID? Uh, we know that uh, particularly with the now the current Omicron variant, they then then you know they're not getting uh, that sick. So overall, you would have to say you know given the other uh, you know sort of negative impacts of of being at home and not connecting with their friends and 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 doing you know uh, learning online, uh, it's probably on balance. Uh, you know, sort of, there's the, the benefits outweigh the risks, but there's, but we, but I think we have to be, you know, uh, mindful that there are risks, and and we have to be aware that uh, by having the kids in class, that there will be uh, a lot of infections, both kids and and staff. Is the discussion changing in the sense that we're learning to live with it rather than run from it? I mean, mm. especially with a almost ninety percent vaccination rate in Ontario alone. I mean, that that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think it's you know we're at that situation where you know we're starting to say, well, how do we learn live with this? You know, in in a lot of ways, it's sort of similar to the seasonal flu, and and how do we manage that? And so, so I think where we're at now with this, because of the you know the difficulties or restrictions around uh, testing, uh, I think it's really up to individuals now to to manage their own uh, own infection and and uh, own contact and so so basically anyone who is 
if their kids have the sniffles or, or have flu-like symptoms, you know, they have to basically keep them home. Uh, and uh, but but if we you know if we say well let's you know if they're at school they're they're wearing masks and wearing the best masks they can at least the triple ply ones or or even better if you can get the kid size 90 n95 masks uh and then if you know they're uh you know washing their hands and and sort of uh, trying to do social distancing as best they can but you know i think that's we're at that stage where we've got to do the best we can, but we have to say, well, if people are sick, stay home. So, and, and that's really where we're at now, I think. Thomas Tenke, Professor, School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University, talking about the kids heading back next week. Uh, as always, Tom, thanks for the time. Be well. Yeah, thanks very much. Have a great day. All right, lockdowns uh, and the kids out of school, obviously going back. As I said earlier, it was fascinating watching stuff on the news last night where half the country was back at school, the other half wasn't, and each one was complaining because they wanted to be what the other one was. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I really think this discussion has changed uh, in the last week or so. And as uh, many, many people have become, inf- have become infected, as many people who have been fully vaccinated get over this and move on, uh, with minimal illness, I-, I think people are really looking at the way we're handling this and wondering if COVID-19 is still the problem or if the real issue here is a crumbling healthcare system uh, that is in need of a funding formula overhaul and it's taken the pandemic to bring it to our attention. Let's bring in Ian Lee, Associate Professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. I've been triple vaccinated, and I am isolating like crazy. All right. He's off and running. I'm really feeling the change in this discussion, and tell me if you agree, Ian, and that is, I think, with lockdowns and keeping kids out of school, it seems that we're bashing the last 5 or 10% of the population to get vaccinated as if that is somehow going to solve all of our problems, uh, especially with the healthcare system, when now I think we're realizing how fragile and how sensitive and how underfunded uh, the healthcare system is at one time 50 50 uh between provinces and feds now it's like under 25 percent that the federal government pays so has the discussion changed and and are we focusing are we finally starting to focus on the root of this uh getting through this which is an inadequate healthcare system that needs some fixing uh, I think, Scott, uh, and I find this just fascinating because it's a subject that I've been w- talking about. I've written about this. Many uh, have talked uh, about it for months and months yeah. and months, but it, we have and, to wait to see it happen, it seems, before right. we get it. And the reason I'm more concerned, I'm I'm older, <laughs> and I'm having no compromise. And so, you know, as you get older, you become more aware of your uh, mortality. And guess what? The stats are crystal clear. Older people use a lot more, consume a lot more health care annually, long before the pandemic, by the way. And so you become much more concerned about the structure of health care. I think the pandemic, once it's over, we're going to realize that horrible as it was, and it was, and uh, not trivializing at all anyone who died or became very sick from it, uh, from the, the COVID-19. Uh, 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 but we're also going to realize that it did uh, something that was, in a weird way, it was very uh, useful. That is, it exposed the very serious flaws in our healthcare system. Let me just throw a couple of quick stats out. Uh, there's a very, very well-known uh, international uh, healthcare think tank, basically. It's called the Commonwealth Fund. Anybody can look it up. It's been used by Jeffrey Simpson, the, the great uh, retired, now retired Globe and Mail reporter who wrote books on the Canadian healthcare system. And they have shown using all kinds of metrics and measures that we spend the second most of any wealthy high-income country in the world as a percentage of GDP, 
and we come second from the bottom in results. So this isn't to, I'm not saying this to bash, and this is certainly not a criticism of doctors or health care no, workers. No, no. I am talking about the structure of the healthcare system. The paper I wrote uh, for McDonald Laurier Institute Think Tank uh, five or six years ago, it was it was astonishing how similar it was, and I was un, did not know that Janice McKinnon, the then and well then retired by then retired NDP finance minister, had written a similar paper. Long story short, what I've argued and many others have too. There's nothing profound about this, is we have probably one of the most centralized healthcare systems uh, in all the OECD countries. Just about any serious medical treatment is delivered in a hospital. In other words, we don't use clinics. In plain English, we don't use the decentralized model of clinics. And for anyone out there who's in the public sector, and I'm talking about the unions who want to start, you know, screaming at me saying, he wants American health care in Canada. No, I no. do not. As Hillary Clinton said in the debate in the States, it doesn't matter who delivers the health care. What matters is who pays for the health care. And if you have a single-payer model, which we do in Canada, the Americans do not, we do, then you can use clinics, private hip and knee clinics, private MRI clinics, private everything clinics, except for the biggest and the most um, uh, expensive and complex medical interventions. I'm talking, obviously, cancer, uh, heart attack, stroke, trauma, emergency medicine from automobile accidents, uh, gunshots, that sort of thing. That would remain uh, in hospitals. But hospitals are the most expensive place of all to deliver health care. So, of course, we're going to have shortages of bed because a new, we're building a new hospital in Ottawa. Haven't built one in probably 50 years since the, I think it was in the late 70s. And now we're building a new Ottawa Civic Hospital. And it's going to cost, it's budgeted at $5 billion dollars which means it's probably going to come in at 6 or $7 billion. Hospitals are unbelievably expensive, whereas we could decentralize into very inexpensive clinics, you know, in strip malls. You know, I go to arthritis clinic, and it's in a hospital. Can you believe that? They do no surgeries there, none. They go in, and they look at me, and how are you feeling? They take my blood test. Okay, yeah, you're looking pretty good, and then away I go. That could be done in a clinic in a strip mall and have them decentralized and have four or five of them across the city. And, and so that kind of thinking of going decentralized, but with OHIP acting as the banker, the regulator, and the paymaster so that they would reimburse the clinic for the same fee they reimbursed the hospital for, for a hip or a knee or whatever. Because there's a, people don't realize this. Every hospital gets reimbursed by OHIP for every medical procedure. So, so why, Ian, why, Ian, do we constantly brag about a system, and I'm guessing because it's universal, and pretending for it to be something that it's not? I mean, everybody's remembering the days in the 50s when it was 50-50 uh, federal and provincial. Well, it's not like that anymore. So why do we keep pretending, I, I, you know, I, because I, it serves everybody, it serves the bottom 20% but neglects the top 80? What, yeah. When are I, we going to change guessing, that? I, and I'm not trying to, you know, bang, beat up on politicians, but, you know, I, I'm old enough. I'm in my late 60s. I can remember every election in my lifetime starting in the early 70s. Politicians bragging on the campaign trail, we've got the best health care system in the world. No, and we you know, don't. Thing. You say it long enough and loud enough, and people start to believe you. And, yeah. and it's not supported by the data on wait time. So when people wonder this is ideology, no. They actually compare average wait times for heart, 
for, for knee, for hip, for a whole smash of procedures, the Commonwealth Fund. It's absolutely nonpartisan. It's not funded by corporations. It's not funded by pharmaceutical companies. It's a quasi-government uh, type of organization, similar to the OECD. And it's widely respected. And they show that we are at near the bottom in terms of medical treatment, in terms of timeliness. You know, I'll give you an example. I'll be very personal. I had my a knee, full knee replacement three years ago, just before the pandemic. I was on the waiting list, on the queue, for two and a half years. Yeah. Years, Scott. Years. My sister lives in the United States and has been for years. She's an American. She said, oh, she says, that's crazy. She says, I can get my, hip rep- uh, my knee replaced in two weeks here. Mm. I talked to the doctor. Two weeks later, I can get my knee done. Two and a half years in the national capital of Canada. In the tenth wealth, the largest economy in the world, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and it took two and a half years. So there's problems with the structure. It's not the doctors. It's not the nurses. No. It's the structure. We have a centralized model, and well, that works for things like national defense. You can't have ten or twenty or thirty militaries in a country. You have one. That's a centralized model. Okay, I get that. But medicine needs to be decentralized because mm. there's people living all across the country in all kinds of villages and towns and cities. And then if we retain the single-payer model, which differentiates us from the states with their thousands of insurance companies and, and billing and all that stuff, we keep the single-payer model, but then we decentralize the delivery. And by the way, I did, very quickly, Scott, I did research on this back to 1965 when the Lester Pearson and the premiers were discussing it. They never... And it's very clear, on the record, in their own words, it was never the intent of the people that created public Medicare in Canada to have it 100% delivered by public sector. Hmm. They never anticipated, they never expected all the doctors would become on the payroll of OHIP or whatever the provincial medical system is. And, you know, even now we've had a mixed system all those years. Private doctors and private clinics are private. And we don't call that privatized health care. You know, when we Ian, I got to Ian, I got to cut you right off there. We're out of time. Ian Lee with his associate professor, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Is this about the pandemic or a new funding formula for our health care system needed? Thank you, Ian. All right. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, uh, coming up after the six o'clock news. And of course, columnist in your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for taking the time. I want to throw this out uh, right away and, and, and catch your thoughts on this. Uh, in Quebec, non-vaccinated Quebecers will now have to pay an extra health tax, uh, which we don't know how much that's going to be, but apparently it's more than 100 bucks. Significant. Yeah, a significant amount in order to uh, to help pay for COVID. Uh, I, I, Kathleen Wynne even said this was a pretty slippery slope. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, this is two days in a row, Scott, that you have predicted what I'm talking about first on my show tonight. And uh, we're actually opening, <laughs> we're going to be opening the lines to people to hear what they have to say. Because I'm, I'm with the former premier on this one. I think this is stepping into a Pandora's or opening a Pandora's box. It's for- pretty socialist. It's very, it's very, very, more, very left. Yeah. More than that, though, because yeah. here's the thing. So if you can say that, you know, you are going to cost the have the healthcare system X dollars because you won't get vaccinated. Therefore, you must pay a fee. Um, what if you're obese and you have diabetes? Yep. Um, and you live a sedentary lifestyle. What if you're a smoker? What if you drink? What if you do high risk sports? What if you do any sports? 
Yeah. Um, you can start going down the list. Uh, what if you walk to work and it's on a busy street where the sidewalk has a chance you could be hit by a car? I mean, you could literally start coming up with all, we, every one of us. The minute we get out of bed and take our first bite of something, we run the risk we could choke to death. I mean, yeah. we live in a world where we could die in a day. We could cost the healthcare system money every single day based on sometimes fluke, but sometimes our lifestyle or our habits. And so if this goes ahead, in my thinking, if this goes and the people in Quebec go, wow, this is terrific. We love this idea. I think what you're going to see is, first of all, other places try it. Maybe even the federal government, perhaps, try something like this. Why don't they try fixing the health care system and try to, instead of like making sure the last 1% gets vaccinated? Because even if we get 100% of the population vaccinated, we're still going to have the same uh, health care system that's full of holes and in need of a new funding formula. Well, we talked about that yesterday, uh, but that's a whole lot more challenging than something like this. Yes, you're right. It takes work. What is, what is the easiest thing any politician to do? Tax. Taxes. Yep. Raise taxes. It's, 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 it's a sweep of a pen. It's a vote. And, you know, if you have a majority government and you decide you want to do it and you're the leader, heaven knows we've had it happen here enough and we've had it happen elsewhere enough. I just I just look at this and I think if the people of Quebec are okay with this and if we don't see public opinion dip, and in fact, I think it'll be the opposite. I think a, a lot of people in Quebec are going to say this is fantastic. I think we are going to see this tried elsewhere. And as I say, I think this is a really, really dicey thing because, you know, some of the people who are going to be pushing for this now wait until their lifestyle choice or their habit is the thing that comes up next yeah, on the taxation yeah, block, yeah, and suddenly yeah. it won't be quite so popular. Good point. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming right after the 6 o'clock news and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. And obviously you'll hear more on this as he takes this uh, to be the phones. Be ready to call. Be ready yeah. to call. Stick around and be ready to call to have your say. I want to hear from everyone. All right, Scott. Thanks for the time. Have a great show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Much appreciated. Thanks to Will and Dave and Lisa for helping out today. Uh, And as always, we leave it to you. But this time, the former premier of Ontario, Kathleen Wynne, to have the last word. Yeah, I think that's really astute of you, Scott. I think that the discussion is changing.